Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. We would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at 9.15 or 10.45 a.m. at our new location at 5103 Pegasus Court. To learn more about what Sunday mornings at Collective look like, please head to mycollective.church and click on what to expect. There are going to be a lot of great things at Collective this summer as Maryland opens up, so stay tuned for upcoming events and announcements as we continue to try to make an impact in our city. Now here's Sunday's message. We are so excited that you're here with us today. I've been talking about this day for a long time uh, as we kicked off this series. Today we have Dr. Matthew LaGrange with us. And Matthew is the founder of His Story Coaching and Counseling. Um, and Matthew has had a profound impact on my life. I've been talking to Matthew for uh, four years before Collective ever existed. It was kind of a determiner on planning a church. Uh, I flew down to Texas, got to meet with him um, through conversations there and through the next four years. Um, my life has been impacted because of him. Uh, Matthew is a mentor. He is a coach. He's a friend. Um, Ray and I have the pleasure now to work on teams with him as he has developed a way to assess future church planters. And my wife and I get to be a part of that as well. And so um, I'm really excited that he's here today. In first service, I told everybody he was a Dallas Cowboys fan and everybody booed him, rightly so. Turns out that he's not a Cowboys fan, okay? Um, <laughs> let us know on stage. He's actually a Colts fan. And then everybody booed him again because so many of you are Ravens fans. So um, please be nice to him, please. Uh, he actually flew in from Texas late last night. As soon as service is over, he gets back on a plane and flies back home um, because he wanted to be here with you all. And that's how much he loves this church. Matthew uh, doesn't just talk to me. He prays for this church. He cares about this church. He cares about you all, um, even though he doesn't know all of you by name, maybe some of you. Um, but he loves you guys and loves this church. And we're so thankful that he's here. So please give it up for Matthew. You know, last, uh, last service, he introduced me as his counselor, and I had to correct him because if I were his counselor, I couldn't be here. So, um, because I could never share any personal stories if I were his counselor. Since I'm not his counselor, I'm going to tell you all kinds of personal stories about him. Actually, that's not true. I have been praying for this church since before it was founded. Uh, I had the privilege of getting to know Michael and his wife over the last several years, and um, I've now walked with almost... 300 couples who have been in the process of discerning whether or not church planting was something that they wanted to do. And it's, it, it's amazing to get to see people who actually go out and do it and do it so well. And so I, I want you guys to know from, from the bottom of my heart how proud of this young man that I am. Um, he has faced his personal demons and has wrestled with those things in ways that I wish a lot more people would do. And so there's a section of scripture that I love that's a, a picture of Jesus being baptized. And when he comes up out of the water, a, a light shines down from heaven and a dove descends. And the Lord God says, this is my son, whom I dearly love and in whom I am very well pleased. And I want you to know that while he's not my son, figuratively, I'm going to say that he's my son. And he's somebody that I dearly love and in whom I am well pleased. And so, Michael, I, I applaud the work that you're doing here. And I think Collective benefits greatly from your leadership. So I was asked to come and speak about mental health because, well, I have mental health issues. And so, uh, yeah, I do. So that, that's, that's a whole other thing. 
Um, but I, I run a practice in North Dallas. It's, it's actually in Grapevine, which is right next to the airport in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Um, just this last month, we ended up becoming the largest nonprofit counseling center in all of DFW. I have 32 counselors that work on my staff. I have about eight life coaches that do work there. And so we have the privilege of doing a lot of great stuff. And so what I wanted to do today, if you guys are okay with it, is I'm a teacher, not a preacher. And so I'm going to need a little bit of interaction from you. Um, and you'll know clearly when I ask for that. So I, it's okay to shout out answers uh, when you have those, and we'll just kind of play a little game if that's all right. Is that okay? Okay, so let's, let's try this. All right, so really what I'm doing is I'm testing to see how good Michael is as a preacher right now. All right, so here's the question. What is the first crisis that man faced in Scripture? Huh. He's not as good as we thought he was. All right, so let's, let's make this a little easier. What book would you turn to? Genesis, very good. Okay, thanks for playing. All right, so Genesis, first book of the Bible, it's probably there, and you're right, it is. So gold star for that one. But what story would you go to? Adam and Eve, okay? So you're talking about Genesis chapter 3. It's the fall of man. That's where Eve eats the fruit, gives it to Adam. Adam eats the fruit. Separation from God happens. Huge human crisis. Not the first. Loneliness. Very good. So somebody, somebody has been reading ahead. So actually reading behind, I guess. So in Genesis chapter 2, the first human crisis emerges. God says, it is not good that man should be alone. My whole ministry is grounded in this principle, that it is not good that man should be alone. Believe it or not, collective as a church is grounded in this verse, whether they call it that or not, because what you do in the community is you help people not be alone as they go through whatever it is that life brings. And so what I want to do today in the time that we have, is I, I want to tell you what's wrong with you. Is that okay? I, I know it's, it's really kind of obnoxious that some Texan would come up here and tell you what's wrong with you, but I get to get on a plane and leave, and I get to leave the mess for Michael. So let's just try this, shall we? Okay, I'm going to give you a picture of what's wrong, and I want you to know something from the beginning. First of all, God doesn't want you to be alone either. That there, there are things that all of us struggle with, that all of us wrestle with. I've wrestled with severe depression for most of my adult life. And I know I don't look like somebody who wrestles with depression, but I do. What I've learned, though, is that I can't manage that on my own. I have to have help. And so I've sought out that help through mentors, coaches, counselors, whatever I needed at the time. But I've, I've made sure that I've not been alone trying to deal with this. And we live in a season right now where, man, it is crazyville. I mean, corona. And I've never lived, in a time, I'm 53 years old. Okay, I'm almost 54 years old. And I've never lived in a time where society has been so alone. 
You know, you, you have these masks, and I see social distancing happening right here. Um, and it's one of those things that just the way the last year plus has been, it's made this problem even more epidemic. The pandemic is not the only demic that there is. Aloneness is huge. And we all wrestle with things. Scripture says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means we all have things that we struggle with, every single one of us. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a picture of why we struggle. Okay? So let's, let's start with this. I believe that we're all born with a pool. And it's like a pool that you find in a stream. So you have water that flows downstream. It collects in your pool. When it's full, it'll flow on downstream. I've always wanted a pool. I live in Texas. It's hot. You're supposed to have pools in Texas. But I don't have one. But I do inside my head. So it makes me feel better. And so things get added to your pool. And the way they get added is kind of like, you know, you've got good things, and you've got bad things. You've got tragic things, and you've got great things. All these things get added to your pool. And it happens kind of like this. Everyday life events, the things that happen on a normal day-to-day -day basis are like little pebbles. And so if I take a little pebble and I drop it into the pool, what's going to happen? Not much, right? You're going to get little ripples, little bloop. And if you've got a good, healthy flow of water into your pool, it's going to wash that thing right downstream. It's not going to have a lasting impact. But then you have bigger things that happen. Okay? Maybe you have a minor car accident, or uh, you have a bad day at work, or you, you get into a fight with your spouse, which hopefully doesn't happen every day. But for some people, it does. Okay? It's a little bigger. It's more like a stone. So if I take your stone and I drop it into your pool, now I get a splash. And depending on how close to the edge of your pool it is, it may actually splash outside of your pool into somebody else's that's close by. Okay, now I'm going to do something that I think every good counselor type person does, is I'm going to take you just for a moment. We won't stay there long. I'm just going to take you back to your childhood. Okay? So when you were a little person, whose pool do you think your pool was next to? Parents, very good. Thanks for playing. All right, so your parents' pool, and that's the way God designed it from the get-go. So your pool is here, mom's is here, dad's is here. Now, we know that that's not how the real world works a lot of times. Not always are both parents present. But in this kind of setting, all right, you're right there, mom's here, dad's here. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, that dad had a really bad day at work. Who's that going to splash on? It's going to splash on you. And as a little person, you don't know the difference between I caused this or I just have to suck it up and deal. That's one of the things that we learn in childhood. Now, one of the other things that we learn is how to cope with it, how to deal. Okay? And we learn those coping skills by watching our parents, trial and error, all those kinds of things. And, and the truth of the matter is, my experience is, the coping skills that we learn in childhood are the same ones that we have as adults. Hopefully, they've matured a little bit. Not always the case, but hopefully that's something that happens. Now, the other thing that is supposed to happen, and this is really important, okay, because I told you I was going to tell you what's wrong with you. Here's where it is, right? The other thing that is supposed to happen when you're a kid is that your parents are supposed to meet something in you that I call relational needs. These are things like comfort and attention and affection and appreciation and approval and acceptance and respect.
and encouragement and support and security. And I think, yep, there they are. Okay, you guys are going to be quizzed on this in just a minute, so make sure you memorize those. Actually, that's not really true. So these relational needs, these are why we do the stupid things we do. We try and get these needs met, and sometimes we do that in unhealthy ways. Our parents, I don't know your parents. I, I met Michael's mom for the first time this morning, and, and I don't know much about her, and I, but I can tell you this about your parents. They were not perfect people. And because they were not perfect, they were not able to meet these 10 needs for you fully, at least not on a regular basis. And so you as a little person walked around as somebody with these relational needs. And God hardwired these into you. And because you have these needs, they have to be met. It's not a choice. They have to be. And so as a little person, you're walking around with a need for attention, and so you're going to do something to get attention. Now, it's not like your brain is sitting there going, I need some attention today, so that's what I'm going to do. No, your body just knows it needs it, and so it does. And sometimes the things that we do to meet our needs, they aren't safe. They're not acceptable. They're not appropriate. And so if we kind of look at what we do as adults, you know, some of us ask the question, well, why do I do that? When I know it's not good for me, why do I do it? Well, now you understand. It's because in some form or fashion, doing those things is a way of meeting needs. It's not healthy. It's not right. And so one of the things that I do as a counselor, as a coach, as a father, as a husband, is I try and identify what are the needs that you have and how can I, in some way, help you get them met in a healthier way. Because if I can get them met in a healthier way, the problematic behaviors, they'll kind of resolve themselves. That's my approach as a counselor. Not, not everybody does it that way. But that's, that's what I focus on. And here's the truth. If you learn what relational needs you have, oh, and I'm pointing up here as though there's words still up here. Um, so I look foolish. That's okay. If you learn how to get those needs met in yourself, here's what's going to happen is you're going to start to see these needs in other people. And when you see them in other people, when you pay attention to them and you see, oh, that's a need that they have, I can do something about that. When you intentionally go and meet that need in a healthy way, it creates an environment where good things are more likely for them, where positive change happens. Here's the truth. Collective Church does this already without even knowing this theory. You guys do this already. You recognize needs in the community and you meet them. And you think you're just meeting physical needs. But the truth is you're meeting something that's more foundational than that, something that's more important than that. If we look back at Genesis 2.18, it is not good that man should be alone. God said, therefore I will create a helpmate suitable for him. You are that helpmate for people. And through that human relationship, you meet very important needs, ones that help people to function better, to feel better. Because not only can we describe all behavior using this model, you can also understand all of human emotion through this model. So you think about the ways that we struggle emotionally, depression and anxiety and anger and, and guilt and shame. If you think about those things, 
what, what you will see is that you can, you can experience those in response to one of two things. Either I don't have my needs met, and because I don't have my needs met, I'm sad, I'm depressed, or I'm anxious about when I'm going to get them met, or I'm angry that I can't get them met. Or number two, it may be because of the stupid things that I've done in order to get them met. So it's like I, I drink too much, or I take drugs, or I gamble, or I... I look at pornography, or I commit adultery, or we could laundry list this thing out for a long time. But we engage in those behaviors, and we just feel racked with guilt and shame over the fact that we're doing those things. So one of the things that I focus on as a counselor is I focus on understanding these needs and then helping you figure out how can you get them met in a healthy way. Now, let's get back to the analogy, though. Okay, because this is all making sense so far. Yeah, okay, maybe not so much in this group, but that's okay. We're just going to go on with it anyway, because I've only got so much time. All right, so we've got the pebbles, we've got the stones. Stones are heavy enough, they don't get washed downstream. They may collect at one end of the pool, but that's where they're going to kind of sit and accumulate. But then we have big-time life events that happen. How many of you are married here in the room? Okay, how many of you have gone through a divorce? Okay, I know some of you don't want to raise your hands, but that's okay. All right, uh, how many of you have had children? How many of you have lost children? How many of you have lost a loved one? Okay, so we, we all have these big-time life events. These are boulder-sized events. All right, so if I take a boulder and I drop a boulder in your pool, I'm going to get a big old splash. It's not just going to splash on those right next to us. It may splash four or five pools over have nothing to do with you, but you get splashed on by somebody else. If you've never had that experience, uh, you may want to take a look in the mirror because you might be that experience for somebody else. You know, I, I, remember, um, I remember one time, Walmart is one of my favorite places to go to people watch. It's not my favorite place to go, it's just to watch people. But I went there late at night one time. It was like 11.30, close to 12. And I'm walking down this aisle, and I see in front of me this woman with two small children in Walmart at almost midnight. And I'm thinking to myself, man, how crazy is this? What in the world are you doing there with these two small kids? And then I had to check myself because I realized that I was in Walmart at almost midnight, which, you know, uh, okay, that's a whole other story. And so I'm walking down the aisle, and I reach down to pick something up, and she's on her phone, and all of a sudden, she just goes off. I mean, I'm not, like, bumped into her kids or knocked into her cart. I'm just standing next to her, and she just blows up. Well, this is somebody who's had a boulder drop in their pool, and I'm the unhappy recipient of some of the splash from that. Had nothing to do with it directly, but I had the experience. And so... I went away from that, and I was wet, emotionally speaking. We, we need to understand that these things, when they come into our life, they're big-time events, and they're going to have a lasting impact. When a boulder falls into our pool, it's going to sit right where it falls. And over time, you get this accumulation of stuff inside your pool, and so you get a dam that starts to build up because the boulders are there. Now the rocks can't get pushed to the edge of the pool, they get caught up in the boulders, and you can get to a point where even the pebbles start to fill in the nooks and crannies, and you have a dam that builds up higher and higher and higher inside your pool. 
and the water behind it, which represents your emotion, it gets higher and higher and higher too to where it starts to spill over the top of the dam and so you can get a splash without anything ever falling into your pool. It just happens because you've got a dam there. Is all this making sense so far? Okay, good, thank you. Let's make this a little more complicated. He introduced me as Dr. LaGrange. I do have a PhD, and so let's kind of kick this up to doctoral level. So over the top of everybody's pool, there's a layer of ice that forms. Remember those coping skills we talked about earlier? Well, those, those coping skills are your ice. And so some people have really good coping skills. Their ice is really thick. And other people, eh, not so much. Their ice is kind of thin. And you guys are a smart crowd, and so you're sitting here, you're thinking, all right, wait a minute, there's ice on top. How does, how does anything ever get in the pool? I think it's a great question. I'm glad you asked. So you take that pebble and you drop it on the ice. And I'm from Indiana. I know I live in Texas, but uh, I'm from Indiana. And lakes, rivers, ponds, all those things freeze in the wintertime, so much so that you can actually walk out on it. I would never try that in Texas because I'd get wet. But up there, you can do it. And what I learned is that when you drop a rock on the ice, there's a temperature differential between the rock and the ice. And so it will gradually melt its way down through the ice and add itself to the pool, which is really cool because it holds my whole analogy together. So we take a rock, though. Now it depends on how thick your ice is to what's going to happen. If your ice is really thick, it'll chip it, may crack it, but it ultimately it, too, will melt its way down through and add itself to the pool. But if your ice is thin, and that rock hits, it's going to break it, and it's going to cause a splash. And just like your coping skills, ice doesn't immediately come back together in a solid. It takes time for that. You've heard the saying, time heals all wounds. So that, it's a lie, but what it means is it takes time for your coping skills to rally and come back together, and then you can handle the normal things in life again. And once it breaks through, it adds itself to the pool. And then you have boulders that hit. And when the boulders hit, I don't care how thick your ice is, boulders are going through. And they displace more ice, and so it takes longer for your coping skills to rally. And so I'm going to explain something to you. This, you've been wondering about this for a while, not for me, but just I'm going to, I'm going to answer a question you didn't even know you had. You've got a dam inside your pool, you've got ice that's on top. The ice has no, or the water has nowhere to go now. And so you get this pressure that builds up behind the ice. And so I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but sometimes something little will happen. It's, it's not good, but it's, it's little. And when it happens, you get this reaction that is completely out of proportion to whatever it is that caused it, okay? I'm gonna explain why. You've got a dam and you've got ice. That pressure builds up, and so whatever it is that breaks through, you get the release of emotion. And one of the things that I want you to understand is that when emotion releases, when it's vented up, where does it go? Gravity still functions. So what goes up has to come back down, and most of it's gonna come right back down into your pool. And so not only do I focus on relational needs, I also want to pay attention to what's in the dam. What are the things that are keeping us kind of locked up? And we don't have to, we don't have to go through and clean out the entire dam. 
but we do need to make the dam smaller because we want a good, healthy flow of water flowing through there. We want your emotion to be able to just kind of flow rather than build up and have you blow up. And the truth of the matter is that's a really hard thing to do on your own. And so when, when Michael talks about the need for counseling, what he's really talking about is you have to have a safe place to be able to unpack that stuff. Where, where you have somebody that you can trust who's going to help you hold it together as you're dealing with stuff, but isn't going to go too far, but is going to go far enough. It's going to support you in the work that you need to do, whatever that is. Now, some of you are capable of doing this with your friends, but some of you are not. Some of you need somebody who has a little bit more experience, a little bit more training, in how to hold things together for you and with you who can live out Genesis 2.18. So I, I want to share one final scripture before I wrap up today because it's, it's really important that you understand that God is for you, is not against you because sometimes we get locked up in that place where we feel that way. And this is the most used therapy verse that I have in my arsenal. It comes from Philippians 3.13. And what Paul says as he is sitting inside a jail cell, he says this to the people of Philippi, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. I, I, I don't get it all, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I press on to take hold of the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Yeah that verse is really hard for us to wrap our minds around. Why? Because it says forgetting. And some of you are sitting here in the room going, I can't forget. I want to teach you a little something, though. Because that verse doesn't mean like a whiteboard, we're going to wipe it away as though it never happened. What it's, what it's saying is, and what Paul is saying here is, I don't want you to be in bondage to the past. You know, life has a tendency, oh, it's a certainty, that it's going to continue to go in one direction, and that's forward. When we go forward, but keep our eyes focused on what lies behind, what's going to happen to us? We're going to run into things, or we're going to fall into pits, but here's the other thing that happens, is if we're focused this way, God has good things for us. He wants us to experience his blessings. But if we're focused this way, when life is going this way, we miss those until when? We're already past them. And now all of a sudden, we're even blaming the past for us missing the blessings that are going on in our life right now. I think it's important that we learn from the past as we live in the present with our eyes on the future. We want to keep our eyes focused on him because when we're looking forward, when we're looking towards where God wants us to go, we see all of this great stuff that God has for us. Plus, we see the things we need to avoid. And so learn from the stuff that's holding you back so that you can turn your eyes towards what lies ahead. That is a huge, huge, huge thing. And I can't tell you how important it is. So 
So my prayer for you guys is that you understand that God is for you. He does not want you to be alone. He wants you to learn from the things that are going on in your past or have gone on in your past. It doesn't matter whether it's something you did or something that happened to you. But that's something that's in your past that you can learn from. It becomes a part of your story. And when you, when you learn about your story, what you're going to see is how God's story is a part of that. How God has brought people into your life to meet relational needs for you that you didn't even know were there. That you didn't appreciate fully at the time, but now you can. And how God is with you now and how he will be with you into the future. And so my prayer for you as a church is that you would be a church that understands that it's okay to be needy. It's okay to have these relational needs, and it's important that you get them met in healthy ways so that you can turn around and recognize the needs that people in your community have, that your neighbors have, that your children have, and you can start intentionally meeting their needs. Because as you do, what you will find is that they will see God in you in that moment, and they will be drawn closer to him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity that we've had to spend time together. I pray your blessing upon this church, that they would continue to be ever focused on you, that they would not be in bondage to the things of the past, the things that they have done, the bad choices that they've made, or that they would be in bondage to the things that have happened in their life, but they would learn from those that they would see the people that you've brought into their life to, to love them, to accept them, to show them mercy and grace, to, to comfort them and to encourage them. And Father, that this would be a safe place for people to come where they can experience you in your fullness. And Father, I pray that for those who've been wrestling with mental illness for a long time, that today would be the day that they decide, I'm going to get help for that. I'm not going to continue to try and walk this road alone. That I, I'm going to lean into the people that you have put into my life or that you've already prepared in advance for them to walk with them through this next season so that they can experience your grace and your mercy in an incredible way. I pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.